Hi, my name is Charlie Bird. I've been a journalist for almost 40 years. And during that period, I have covered some incredible stories. But recently, I came across one of the most amazing stories I've ever stumbled upon in my whole career. It wouldn't even fit in the pages of a John Le Carre novel. And for me, it all starts when I read the back of the Irish Times, the personal column of the Irish Times, on Saturday, the 1st of September, 1979. And this is what the ad says. Tom Smith has read your message and will consider your proposals. Reference 300 79. Yes, we will consider your proposals. So who are the we? Where is this story going? Now we're going to read the first letter that arrived. Dear Minister, to get straight to the point, this is a demand for £5 million. During the last four years, the writer and four of his colleagues have considered sending this communique to the Irish government. We have spent large sums of money researching this idea. Several times we were almost ready to send this letter, but the circumstances were not right. The reason for you paying us £5 million is very simple. If you do this, we shall not introduce to this country one of the most deadly and costliest diseases that could afflict any country, in particular an agricultural country, namely foot and mouth disease. Let us assure you, Minister, that we have both the facilities and determination to introduce this disease if you do not pay our demands. However, at this stage, we need not go into elaborate details as to our ability to do what we say. We would like you to reply to us in the personal column of the Irish Times on Saturday, September 1st. If you are prepared to consider our requests, simply state in the reply Tom Smith has read your message and will consider your proposals. Also, state a reference number which we can use on our next letter, which you will not receive until December 1st. If you do not insert the reply in the newspapers, we shall take it that you are not prepared to, no matter what the consequences. In this case, we shall communicate further with you but we will immediately take steps to introduce the disease. If you do reply, please be prepared to pay our demands, because in our next letter we shall prove without doubt our determination and ability to carry out our threats. Further, if you do not reply, we shall, as soon as cattle begin to go down, send copies of this letter to all national newspapers. Trusting you will reply, unsigned. This extortion letter looking for £5 million in cash, which in today's money would be around €20 million, Euro, was addressed to the Minister for Agriculture. The Minister at the time was Jim Gibbons in the Jack Lynch government. And the man who has brought this story to our attention is Forgold's Willie McGee who ended his career in the Gardaí as head of the Fraud Squad. But when this incredible letter dropped on the desk of the Department of Agriculture, 
He was a young rookie detective in the fraud squad. He was initially detailed to go to the department and collect the letter. And this is where this incredible story begins in September 1979. It was just weeks before Pope John Paul II's historic visit to Ireland and just days after the murder of Lord Louis Mountbatten at Mullock Moor in Sligo. So I have come to meet Forgo's Willie McGee, the man who was to spend almost six months of his career on the trail of Tom Smith and his extortion gang. Can you first of all tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you did? Charlie, I'm um, a retired member of the Gallagher Shikana. I retired in the year 2002 as Detective Superintendent in the Garda Bureau of Fraud Investigation, which was formerly the, the Garda Fraud Squad. I spent most of my life in the Fraud Squad as a Garda Sergeant and Inspector and ended up as Superintendent there. But you're also um, a male footballer, is that right? I was indeed, yeah, way back in the 60s and early 70s, yes. And how good were you as a male footballer? <laughs> I don't want to spoof about myself, Charlie, really. But um, I played on the Mayo team for a good few years and I played on the Connacht team. I won a Railway Cup medal with Connacht in 1969 and I won a National League medal with Mayo in 1970, but unfortunately I was starved of any All-Ireland success. The closest I got there was 1969, we were beaten in the semi-final of the All-Ireland by Kerry, by a point. But um, you have a nickname, you're known as what? Well, I suppose Four Gold Willie or Four Gold McGee, whichever you wish to, to call me. And that happened as a, as, a, as a result of an incident in 1967 in Law in County Galway where we played Kerry in the Under-21 All-Ireland final replay and I scored four goals that day and that moniker was tagged to me and has stayed with me since that time, which is a long time ago, it's 54 years ago now and it's still there, I'm still known as four goal and actually my oldest son David, who is a member of the Gallagher Corner as well, is known as two goal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you joined the guards first, Willie, we're going to, thanks to you, we're going to reveal one of the most incredible, if not the most incredible stories that I've ever come across in my life, in my whole 40 years of journalism. But before you paint the picture, just tell me where you were in 1967. What did you have to do in one month in 1967? In 1967, uh, I joined the Gardaí in 1966, but I was attached to Pearcey Gather Station in March 1967. And in December that year, um, a number of Gardaí were detailed to do protection duty across the border. Every, every road that led from the south to the north was manned by, by Gardaí in December. In the first month, in December, early December, the Gardaí who were attached to that uh, patrol were, were, had to stand physically on the roadways, but in the second tour that I went on, we were uh, on patrol. We actually patrolled some patrol cars, which wasn't too bad. But for the first month, um, the Gardaí who were attached to the border duties were had a very rough time actually having to stand in the cold, miserable weather on, on the roadways uh, of the borders. So why were you there? What, what was the scare? The scare was the threat of foot and mouth, which occurred in England, and um, of coming, cattle coming through the north. Into, into the Republic. Um, amazing. It, it was amazing, I suppose, but um, um, as a result of the protection duty that was performed by the Gardaí in December 1967, no, no uh, foot and mouth disease uh, happened in, in, in the Republic. 
and it, it was obvious to the Department of Agriculture, obviously at that time, that of the threat of Futtermouth and the seriousness of it, because it was a terrible thing to see. I remember seeing it myself of cattle uh, on, on trucks being um, thrown yeah. into fires and being yeah. burned. It was yeah. terrible. So, Willie, this is what the most remarkable thing is, that in 1979, around the end of August 1979, you, something happens and a letter is sent to the Department of Agriculture. That's correct. I was a detective in the fraud squad at that time and a letter arrived in the Department of Agriculture on August the 29th, 1979. I'll never forget the date and, and, and year. Uh, I was in the fraud squad. Um, the minister, or the first deputy, um, um, Jim, Jim Gibbons, secretary. yeah. Well, I don't know, not Jim Gibbons, some, some, whoever was the first deputy um, secretary of the Department of Agriculture contacted the commissioner of the Gardaí. Oh, uh, right. So I, what you're saying is that at the time, one of the top civil servants contacted the guards. Uh, his opposite in, in, in the Gardaí. In or in justice? Uh, well, in, probably in justice, and, and who in turn um, contacted the commissioner of the Gardaí, who in turn um, detailed the member in charge of the Garda Fraud Squad to carry out an investigation. And uh, as a result of that, as a result of that letter which arrived in the Department of Agriculture, it was a, a ransom demand of five million pounds. Five to, million pounds. To prevent the spread of foot and mouth disease in, in the country, if that 500, uh, five million pounds was paid. I was detailed to go to the Department of Agriculture and collect that letter, which I did. And I brought it to our own guard headquarters, um, to our crime branch, to have it uh, examined in detail for fingerprints. It was signed Tom Smith. Um, it was allegedly um, um, Tom Smith, whoever Tom Smith was, if yeah, he ever yeah. existed, I don't think so. But um, he, he, it was a demand looking for five million. And it says here, we would like you to apply in the personal column of the Irish Times on Saturday, the 1st of September, if you're prepared to consider a request simply state in the reply, Tom Smith has read your message and will consider your proposals. And you ought to have to put a reference number as well. That, so that's, you went and did that. that Who instructed that, you to give? Well, my, my sergeant, the late Matt Madigan, actually asked me to attend at the Irish Times office and place that ad as, as requested by the writer of the letter, which I duly did. And I, I went to the Irish Times, placed the ad in the Irish Times, paid for it, got a receipt, and come back to, to my office. Now, we know that you eventually, over uh, the five months of this story, nearly six months, you placed nearly six or seven ads in the Irish Times. Within the, and the first one that you placed, did the people in the Irish Times become suspicious on the first day that you placed it? Um, they did, apparently, because uh, I, I, I just went through the whatever formula was required to place an ad in the personnel section of the Irish Times. I, I did that, and um, I was no sooner back in the office when the manager of the, the, the advertising section of the Irish Times had contacted my superintendent requesting uh, information about this that sounded rather peculiar, this, this particular ad in the classified section of the Times. And uh, she was told that everything was above board, there was no problem. It was just in relation to an investigation that we were carrying out. That was, she accepted that, and the ad went ahead in the Times as requested. Now, I'm jokingly, did you get reimbursed for uh, uh, the ad? Uh, indeed I did. It cost very little actually at the time. It was paid in cash. There was no credit cards or 
credit at the time and I, I would have paid for the cash and, and applied to the normal channels to be repaid and I'm sure I was. I can't recall the exact procedure. but claimed it on your expenses. <laughs> yeah. Had you ever in your life before that day, had you ever placed an ad in a newspaper in relation to an investigation? No, never. No, ma'am. And other than this whole saga that we're about to un reveal, unfold, do you ever have to do anything like this never, in your whole never, life? Never, never even heard of anything like that before, no. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It is, actually. There it's you are. Most unusual. Uh, member of the Fraud Squad, up and down to the Irish Times, placing strange ads in the back of the paper. They read incredible. As we continue this story, they will, become, they will reveal and they will reveal. So when you got the first, what did you do initially? Were you guys taking this seriously initially? Were you taking it seriously within the guards as a real threat? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. We took it seriously. In what way? I mean, what did you begin to do straight away? Because they told you that they wouldn't be sending another letter for three months until November. So what were you thinking in those three months? What the hell was going on? Well, a lot of inquiries would have to be carried out. The letters were analysed... Um the reading of them, the writing of them was an were analysed, they, they were checked for fingerprints, the, the envelopes that, were, that they were contained in were all checked for fingerprints, even the, the, the stamps and, and the envelopes were checked for fingerprints, but uh, no fingerprints of any known person came to be recognised as a result. So before we go any further with Willie's story, incredibly I was able to track down Kevin Cassidy who was the private secretary to the Minister for Agriculture at the time. Kevin, um, I never thought I'd be sitting here uh, talking to you because I've been on a strange journey over the last maybe two months. The story, when this came across our desk, we just couldn't believe. We could not believe. And we haven't told very many people about this, but anybody we have told, they don't believe it. Okay. They think this is like the most incredible thing. It has never been in the public domain. Mm. Never. And I have the letter which really sets this whole thing off. And it was received in the Department of Agriculture in August 1979. And I'm told that you're the man who would have been given this, handed this letter by somebody in the department to hand on to the minister. I want you to read the opening. So letter one received late August 1979. Dear Minister, to get straight to the point, this is a demand for five million... Do you remember this letter? I do, yeah, I remember. Not the specifics now of what I'm reading. I couldn't have recalled that. But of course I do remember the the time it was received, yeah. First of all, Kevin, tell me who you are and what you were then okay. and tell me a little bit about your background. OK. Well, I'm Kevin Cassidy. I was a lifer civil servant in the Department of Agriculture and I retired uh, four years ago in uh, 2017 after 45 years plus service. So that's my, my contribution to the department. So in 1979, what were you doing? Okay, 1979, I had just been promoted to the grade of administrative officer. I had taken over from a previous guy 
who had been appointed to be a special advisor to Jim Gibbons, the then minister. Jim Gibbons, who is the famous mm-hmm. minister for agriculture and all to do with Charlie Hoy and the arms trial, and Jim Gibbons was your boss while he was the minister you were private secretary to. Yeah. My so God. All his correspondence and, you know, constituency business and all the rest of it, that was all conducted in the private office uh, by myself and a team of civil servants who would have been assigned to do that work. So, first of all, can you remember, I know it's a long way off, so long, four decades. Can you remember the letter of writing and your reaction and, you know, what happened. But just, can you remember this strange letter? Who opened it, by the way? Okay. well, the first thing I would say is it was quite cleverly constructed because the letter was addressed to the minister. By doing that, it avoided the general registry post office of the department where thousands of pieces of correspondence arrive every morning and have to be they're all addressed just generically department of agriculture and have to be opened and redirected around the place by putting it and addressing it to the minister it went straight into the ministerial pile unopened by anybody else so it was only open for the first time in our office so i would have had a group of colleagues generally they were um, clerical assistants and at that time they were all girls in the grade there were no fellas so it would have been um, a, a clerical assistant would have opened the post and this when I, I thought about this before i did this interview with you i remember there was a particular lady in in the department and she had been in every as a junior clerical assistant, she'd been in every minister's office since James Dillon's time in the My 1950s. God. So she had remarkable breadth of knowledge and she was a wise woman. And for a young Covian like me, I was 25 at the time, she was great at keeping you on the straight and narrow. She knew all the procedures and processes that she had to follow um, you know, in doing government business. So anyway, she produced this letter. She had, I'm not sure if she opened it first, but she came in with it to me and said, you should read that, Kevin. So, of course, I read it and kind of read it a second time and, you know, wondered momentarily, is it mad or whatever? But I immediately um, notified the um, senior management because I'm, I'm not sure, there's no date on this, but... It could have been that the minister wasn't in the office that day. It was late August, so it was dull break time, holiday time, and he probably wasn't around. But I wouldn't wouldn't have sat on it. I wouldn't have left it out of my hand. And my memory is that I told, or went into the secretary, who was on the same corridor, two doors down from my office, and handed it to him. And then he would have gone into conclave with senior people nothing not involving me i was i was just the post office post by bringing the the piece and uh, it then set up from there he would have called in senior veterinary people and you know because they would have had to do and the first thing was trying to establish how plausible was the threat because they they said they have you know a means of of, of doing this so um there, there would have been some kind of an assessment or an analysis to know how and real was this. And so you had the envelope, you had the yeah. letter. Yeah, so from then on, um, 
that group of senior managers and this one particular guy took charge of the whole thing the secretary wasn't going to do it as a day job he was busy enough so he handed the the management of it to a deputy secretary in the department a very senior you know very senior um, official called dick mckenna and they would have then called in the, the guards fairly quickly and do you remember the guards coming yeah, I don't remember the precise timing, but I remember the guards came in and I was interviewed about what you just asked me, the letter, who handled it, where had it come from, and the girls or girl or woman in the outer office, she would have been interviewed as well. And then what I do remember, and it's very clear memory I have, um, I had to, my finger, fingerprints had to be taken. Yeah, fingerprints. Yeah, which <laughs> disturbed me a little bit, I have to say, at the time, because it hasn't happened to me before or since. And it was a, they had to do this as a means of trying to eliminate people who had handled the, the envelope and the, the letter. And um, then to see, could they identify anybody else? Now, I never heard any the results of that analysis, but my fingerprints were taken and so were um, the lady inside. And... Um, yeah, it then proceeded from there. And did you know, so in a sense, you were a, a junior person. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did mean, you know what was going on? I mean, or did you just forget about the whole thing? Well, no, it, it went forward from there. You see, will I read the next yeah, part of the letter? Yeah. It says, here, we would like you to reply to us in the personal column of the Irish Times on Saturday, September the 1st. If you are prepared to consider our requests, simply state in the reply... Tom Smith has read your message and will consider your proposals. Also state a reference number which you can use on our next letter, which you will not receive until December the 1st. If you, if you do not insert the reply in the newspapers, we shall take it that you are not prepared to, no matter what the consequences. In this case, we shall communicate further with you, but we will immediately take steps to introduce the disease. If you do reply, Please be prepared to pay our demands because in our next letter we shall prove without doubt our determination and ability to carry out our threats. So, I mean, it was fairly serious sounding um, stuff. And I, I do remember the Tom Smith reference like I, when this was recalled to, by, by your approach to me. And I, there was a number or something as well. So they must have put Tom Smith one, two or three or something like that, as as was yeah. mentioned here. And I remember that. But I had nothing to do with the activity and action okay. uh, following that. So I, you... I, I wasn't been involved in the meetings. I was never involved in um, advising the minister about okay. it. That was done. So you me. never met the detective... Who came to collect the envelope? Did you, Willie well, McGee? Well, I met somebody who took my fingerprints. That was a detective. Yeah. I don't remember who he was. Yeah. And I spoke to. They they took. I don't know. Was it a statement? But they yeah. asked me questions about the handling of the letter, at the time, and then, then it it proceeded after that. They did come in, and there was back and forth activity. Um, which I don't know whether you're going to... No, but I want you to tell me, because this is... What yeah, activity well, do next, you remember? The next, the next thing I remember, I mean, the, whatever they did, they, they, they started up uh, communication in the personal columns of the Irish Times. Yeah. I never saw those. It was never brought in to the, the, the... 
activity on that and wouldn't have been involved. I mean, yeah. what's in my job? There's yeah, lots yeah. of people he had in, in the office to handle that. And as I say, Mr. McKenna was overseeing it all. Do you think, by the way, the minister would have known about this? Oh, they, the senior management would have told him. But Jim I, Gibbons, I, yeah. yeah. But I didn't tell him. Yeah. I don't ever remember going in. Because that's why I'm concluding he wasn't in the office when it arrived. Yeah. So, but I had to do something about it immediately. Yeah. So it was taken over by yeah. the senior management. And I mean, I, I never attended most of the yeah, meetings. Yeah. Yeah. I would have arranged them. I would have had a diary to, to, to manage them. But I was never in the meetings. So. Yeah, but I just want to be clear. I mean, this would not have been withheld. Something of this degree... I mean, this is, by the way, we're talking about, in today's equivalence, 30 million. Mm. Mm. I mean, this wouldn't... I know, it was mega. And it would have gone to the minister, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. No, no, he was informed about it. I didn't inform him. Yeah. And nor was I privy to the conversations that continued after he was informed. Because the veterinary people and their laboratory people obviously were all over this. So they must have had some... Um, analysis to to draw on to to show that it was plausible or potentially possible to do what the guys were doing but you know like where would they have gotten the fmd virus you know it's just not it's not in the country thank god on 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 a regular basis it's it's endemic in south america and parts of eastern europe but you know how you would get it and transport it and Otherwise, it's in laboratories. Okay, well, just wearing your hat of 40 years' experience in the department, tell us what you think the effect, if somebody was to deliberately spread foot and mouth across the entire country, what effect would it have? It would have been devastating. So we had the experience subsequently. 2001? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and you know with foot and mouth, it's... uh, it's slash and burn because it's so infectious, you can't do anything to control it. So that's what you have to do is cull, kill and cull and take the things out and control it that way. So from the point of view of our, whatever, almost 7 million national herd, it would have been completely devastating. So this was high wire? It was, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But I still can't tell you, I mean, whether it was... Uh, a trick of the light, or did they really have? The but it went on. We know it went on for almost five months. Mm. I think um, five or six ads had to be put in the personal column of the Irish Times. In the end, it was a bizarre day when a mini car had to drive all the way around Ireland. On foot of instructions that that had been given. I see, and I never heard that. No, I never was aware of that of the scale but you will become aware of it okay. because um, definitely listen think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone well think again and think Doro Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind they're easy to use with louder sound and larger text plus numerous state of the art features that don't compromise on performance or quality to learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, 
remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway, keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Okay, so it's a sunny day and we're on our way to Trim and we're going to meet a man called Paddy Smith and um, when I joined RTE Paddy was a sort of an institution because uh, he used to do radio broadcasts about agriculture and he was a character and then he worked for the I think the Farming Independent and he's one of these colourful characters and I want to tell him this story about uh, this attempt by these extortionists to get at that time five million from the state and I think Paddy will be absolutely astounded by this story and also by the fact that uh, it never came out that it's not known about and I want to judge his reaction when we tell him this story and equally important Paddy wouldn't understand the importance to the farming community right across this country if somebody was threatening to spread foot and mouth I think so to me he's a key person uh, to talk to about the effect what this threat would have meant to the rural community in Ireland back in the late 70s and the early 80s and also Paddy comes from a rural area and uh, he just would have a good nose to understand the impact and the significance uh, of foot and mouth in this country. It struck first in the county of Shropshire when on October the 25th foot and mouth disease was confirmed in pigs on a mixed farm five miles from the market town of Oswood Street. Immediately, Ministry Veterinary Officers set up a control centre in the town police station and infected area restrictions were placed on a 10-mile area. Animals from the infected farm had been sent to Oswestry Market on that same day and because of this, over 3,000 animals were impounded. Each day, farmers began to flood the control centres with reports of suspected disease and more and more animals were found showing typical early symptoms. In spite of the rapid precautions that were taken, the disease continued to spread. Speed in slaughter is of the utmost importance to stop the virus from multiplying, and the slaughter team begins its grim task immediately the valuation is completed. Men, materials and machinery have arrived, and the selected site is being prepared for the disposal of the carcasses. Burial pits require comparatively few men and machines, but when it's necessary to burn carcasses, a great deal of fuel is required, and the many vehicles often have to travel long distances over rough ground to reach the cremation site. 
As the second week drew to a close, over 100 new cases had been confirmed. And despite untiring efforts to stamp out the disease, it continued to spread, leaping swiftly northeastward towards some of the most heavily stocked dairy country in the world. Day and night, as the battle continued, the normal life of the countryside came to a standstill. The epidemic had now reached disaster proportions. On November the 24th, no less than 81 outbreaks were recorded. And during the final week of November, 490 new outbreaks were confirmed. Since the beginning of the epidemic, only five weeks before, 1,300 outbreaks had been dealt with. Penny, I've come across this story about something that happened in 1979 in Ireland. And in a way it has a resonance uh, along with what's happening at this very moment in Ireland um, with these cyber people who are trying to extort money from the government and closing down the HSE and everything. It's not a desperate thing, not Yeah. Well, Paddy, would you believe that in 1979, in this country, somebody tried to extort five million from the country, from the government of the day by threatening to spread foot and mouth disease across this country? Cool. There's the opening paragraph of their letter, the blackmail letter that they sent to the government. Read it. Jesus. Uh, will I read it a little? Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Dear Minister, to get straight to the point, this is a demand for £5 million. £5 million. My God. Um, during the last four years, the writer and four of his colleagues have considered sending this communique to the Irish government. We have spent large sums of money researching this idea. Several times we were almost ready to send this letter, <clears throat> but the circumstances were not right. So now the circumstances. Paddy, this letter goes on to say that they're going to spread foot and mouth across Ireland. God, Charlie, I find it very hard to believe this. Foot and mouth? Yeah across the country unless the government of the day pays five million in a ransom extortion and this story paddy that i'm now going to talk to you about went on for months and months behind the scenes nobody publicly knew that this threat was going on god that's amazing and we've spoken to uh, a man the man called Willie McGee. I don't know if you heard of him. Four goals, Willie McGee. He played for Mayo uh, no, and no. he ended up as chief superintendent of the fraud squad. But there's a young detective in the fraud squad. He came across, he was the man who was involved in this story. And he's now recounting it to us for the first time in his life. And he says that it's never, ever been publicly known. A threat to spread foot and mouth. Gosh. What, would, what do you think? I mean, just generally. God, first I, of I, all, as a citizen of the country, what do you think of it? Well, look, I, I'm, I'm totally shocked. 
I know it's an overused word, but holy God, how could anybody do that? I mean, were, were the Irish? We think they were Irish, definitely, yes. How could anybody do that? I mean, I don't mean the mechanics of it, but how could they possibly even think about doing that? It's a no, I'm, I know heinous thing to do. I know you're not an expert in foot and mouth, but, I mean, you sort of would know the rural community in this country. What do you think would be the implications if somebody spread foot and mouth? Oh, sure, it'd be disastrous. Um, you see, it's... it's Foot and mouth, it, it's, you almost speak about it in hushed tones. It's almost like the way we used to talk, talk about cancer, you know. Yeah. Foot and mouth. Jesus, that, that's dreadful to even think that anybody would consider doing that. What does it say again? We have spent large sums of money researching this idea. Yeah. Jesus. They were going to bring it in from abroad and using dead carcasses or in fact parts of animals and throw it around the place my god do you where were you can you recall back to 1967 because yes yeah, 67 yeah yeah where were you yeah, then i was uh 67 i was here in trim i was a reporter for the drogheda independent now drogheda is 25 miles from here uh, but they always had a South Meath correspondent yeah. and that was me Willie McGee says that in 1967 he was a young guard at the time and because of foot and mouth he had to stand on the border to yeah. stop people coming across that's right yeah yeah. I remember um, well you see we tend to remember these things not on a national scale but what happened to us here in Trim, yeah, uh, one of the big things at that time was football and hurling matches were cancelled because of the threat of foot and mouth. Yeah, yeah, the the movement was seriously curtailed. Uh, I remember uh, reading at the time about uh, people being uh, brought up in court, not necessarily here in Trim. I don't remember anyone in Trim in, in court, but for uh, not abiding by rules. Uh, well, some people came off a ship someplace. Like I don't know where this memory yeah. is coming from. They came off a ship, but they were they they, they had gone on 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 a, on a sea trip. I don't mean a cruise. Yeah. They'd gone yeah, someplace yeah. on a ship or come home someplace, and they weren't allowed to do it. But there there were women, and they were brought up in court, and they were fined because they were breaking the rules yeah, and yeah, putting yeah. them out. Yeah, and uh, you know it was a it was a big thing. And I'll tell you another thing. People at that time were still talking about, I think it was in the early 40s, there was an actual outbreak, lots of out outbreaks of foot and mouth here in the Republic. And uh, it, it was still talked about, whispered about. Yeah. But they could remember it then at that stage in 67. But this letter was... Was sent in when? 79. 79, so that's... So they were uh, threatening, this was being threatened for 79. Yeah. See, there would have been a lot of people around, even uh, at that stage, who would have remembered 1941, I think it was, and 1967. Yeah. 
but they would have remembered all that. So it would have been a real live threat to the authorities and to everybody, not just the farming community. We, we, all, we all remembered the terrible turmoil there was in 67. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's unthinkable, really. Well, the irony is that the amount of money, the five million pounds, if you put it into today's money, yeah. it's 30 million. 30? 30 million. I'm sorry, the people who are now trying to extort money from the HSE and from the government, the cyber attackers, are probably looking for less. Yes. Less money. Right, yeah, my God. But can I ask you, wearing your hat as a as an as an ag an agricultural journalist correspondent but somebody who you know you knew about rural life what do you think the effect would have been what do you the, first of all what farmers would have thought if they knew this was happening how scared they would have been scared they would have been booking mad first of all uh, that at the very thought that somebody could even think about doing this sort of thing uh, they would have been really scared. You see, I'm thinking about 19... 19 what year? 79. 79, yeah. Uh, we had joined the, the common market in 73. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I remember uh, going to Brussels to cover uh, the prices talks, the annual yeah, prices yeah. talks. And Mark Clinton was Minister for Agriculture. And uh, yeah, the, the word... I remember a joke at the time. One of the newspapers had misspelt the word bonanza. It was all about bonanzas for farmers. Uh, the, the prosperity that, that was in the yeah. farming community, building up from nothing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the, the headline misspelled bonzana, and it became a kind of a joke. Yeah. Uh, so things were beginning to go well for farmers after... Yeah, many years, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, for this sort of thing to happen, it would have been a terrible blow. Holy God. Um, sure, thinking back, what would happen to be, uh, well, all movement of animals would have been shut down. Uh, and uh, there's an awful lot of movement of animals, especially cattle, uh, dry cattle, but also dairy animals uh, pigs and, and sheep yeah. sheep sheep as well yeah uh, goats I remember it was a big thing in the in the European Union we, we didn't have any goats in this yeah, country yeah. but uh, it would have been uh, oh god it would be so irresponsible my god sedition comes to mind yeah treachery yeah holy god and then, surprise, surprise, there was another letter from the gang. This time they were demanding that the money be paid in the following quantities and denominations. Two million in German Deichmarks, two million in Swiss francs, one million in Irish pounds, and that all the money should be packed into one leather suitcase. They also asked that a diplomatic passport be issued and that a car a white Mini 1000 with customised accessories be used for the handover of the cash. 
and all of this to be arranged by early January. Again, they asked another ad be placed in the Irish Times on December the 22nd, and they wanted this message to read, Tom Smith has read your message and has agreed to your proposals. But no, Willie and the guards did not agree to those particular terms. Where we come to then is the second letter is received in November 79. Um, the second letter arrived and, and the one thing that was highlighted in that was Postmark Carlo. And um, we, had, we had reasonable suspicion at that time as to who may have been behind the, the writer, behind the letter writing. Why would you have at that early stage had a suspicion? Um, I suppose um, the likes of the threat like this of ransom demand of that nature wouldn't wouldn't have been thought about by by the ordinary criminal. Yeah. And uh, there was only one person that came to mind um, to to us all as to who would um, carry out that that kind of a threat. Right. And then, then when you saw the postmark Carlo, did that drop another clue? It did. The, the, the number one suspect lived in County Carlo and uh, that has strengthened our, our suspicions there and then. Uh, as, as I said, I was only a young detective. I was in the, at the tail end of the investigation. Yeah. The, a lot of inquiries and consultations and meetings were held by the higher, the, the men of higher rank in, in, in the fraud squad and, and elsewhere. Well, how many people do you think at that stage within the guards were deployed on this? Were there many of you, or do you think, were digging around? There was only, there was only a few. Um, we didn't tell anybody because it was a, a very serious nature. We were afraid that, that word would get out to anybody and that the press would, be in, would become involved. And if anything appeared in the papers, the whole thing was blown straight away. And, um, so you kept the, it the tightly under wraps? That's correct, yeah, because the fear of, of it, it being leaked would immediately give warning to the conspirators to, to um, maybe, maybe set foot them out yeah. in the country. And, um, and you know, I'm going to go back, so you've told me already, you had your own experience in 67 of what the threat of foot them out would be like. You were standing guard on the border. That's correct, and I think everybody in, 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 in the guard, they knew that as well, and, and even the Department of Agriculture were aware and afraid that uh, that would happen. So, on the 8th of December... You placed a second ad in the paper. I'll read it. So on the okay. 8th of December, you placed a second ad in the Irish Times. Yes. It says, Tom Smith has read your proposals and will agree to your conditions. Again, on the um, 22nd of December, 79, you actually, you, the, you, the ad you placed this time is slightly different because it starts with Tom Smith, has read your message but encounters difficulties. Discussion is necessary. And this led to an amazing phone call. So we have come to the end of the first leg of this incredible journey. I'm visiting Colm Keener from the Irish Times, who has many years of experience digging up information, and I would surely love his help on this one. So Colm, I'm showing you the first letter. Mm. This is where this story starts back in old seminar. I want you to read this book. Sure. And it's for real. Okay. Dear Minister, received late August 1979. Dear Minister, to get straight to the point, this is a demand for five years. It's very like the Russians, isn't it? Yeah. It's very like the Russians saying, 
we're going to shut down the HSE. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. the whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're threatening a whole state. Yeah. yeah. We would like you to reply to us in the personal column of the Irish Times on Saturday, September 1st. If you're prepared to consider our requests, approve without doubt our determination and ability to carry out our threats. So, I mean, when you, when you think about it, sorry, they eventually upped the ante from 5 to 10 million, by the way. Mm. So, we've worked out that between 5 and 10 million, you talk about telephone numbers in today's, so, you know, but the, the hackers of the HSE, cyber attackers, are looking for, is it 20 or 25 million dollars or whatever, these people were looking for the same amount of money, the yeah. equivalents at the time. Can you believe what I'm revealing to you? That this was no, going on behind no, the scenes. To be honest, and never to be honest, ever if, if you hadn't shown me the ad, I might have been a bit suspicious, you know, yeah. because it just seems so remarkable. Well, they're all here. Yeah. Everything yeah. is here. Yeah. We know for a fact that this was kept under the tightest, the tightest of wraps within the within the Guardian. Now we do know that the Minister for Agriculture, when the first letter was delivered, was um, Jim Gibbons, who is dead. But what I need to find out, and this is where I need your help, I need to find out, are there files within the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Justice telling this story? Is there something there? And that's why I genuinely need your help, to see if you can use your expertise and to try and dig either under Freedom of Information Act or the 30-year rule. I'm trusting you. This is what, where we need to, where we need your expertise to try and get to the bottom of this aspect of the story. Ransom 79 is a Senior Times production created and presented by Charlie Bird and produced by Connor O'Hagan.